0: There's lots of ways to get creative when it comes to, you know, to doing deals. It's it's all about finding the right type of seller, you know, building a really strong relationship with them and really convincing them that that you're a trusted, safe, really credible pair of hands that really cares about the business and and can, can take it to a different level that the seller, for whatever reason, you know, doesn't want to.
1: Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast, With business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and
0: achieve a bigger impact.
1: Hi, welcome back to the Business Mastermind Podcast and to a mini-series I'm doing called Buy and Build. Um, this is a great privilege of mine, a guy that I've been following his material for some time. He's a fellow Lancastrian. Uh, I love his down-to-worth, um, let's-get-it-done style. A uh, huge heart and adds a huge amount of value. Carl Allen, welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: So before we get into deals, and we just started to go off on this subject, I saw a recent post for you that you... Uh, um, you done? You started doing seventy five hard, and another guy I know in the podcasting space, Alex Chisnell, did it last year uh, from the Screw It, Just Do It podcast, and got some phenomenal results. So, I just want to tap into uh, a listeners here. What is seventy five hard? But why? What was the challenge? What provoked you to do, or or encouraged you to do it? And then, how are you getting on with it?
0: So, what a great question. So, I uh, I'm I'm fifty this year. So, I'm I'm fifty on the seventeenth of October, and When I was at university, um, I I was physically very, very fit. I was captain of my football team at Leeds. I was captain of my squash team. And I I, I was ripped. And then, obviously, I left. And, you know, 30 years later, almost, um, I've always had a problem with my physical body. And um, since I, I really started to get into personal growth and personal development about three years ago, I started going to Tony Robbins events. And one of the things that Tony talks about is called the wheel of life. And if you look at all the areas of your life, like your relationships, your mindset, your business, your ability to generate wealth, um, your physical body, all those different things. i have For like the last five years, I've been killing it on all of those different levels, apart from my physical body. A big part of it was alcohol. I wouldn't say I was an alcoholic, but um, I do like a beer uh, and a glass of wine. And I just got lazy, you know, working out was was not part of my day, you know, drinking beer definitely was, it was like a reward mechanism. You know, I, I grew up, and I'm going to talk about deals in a minute, but I, I grew up um, as a Wall Street investment banker, and it was just very, very natural, At the end of every day, whether it was seven o'clock or 10 o'clock, we'd all go to the pub, whether I was in London, or whether I was in New York or anywhere, really, you'd, you'd go to the pub. Uh, drinking was a massive part of that culture, and I think that uh, that habit stuck with me, and and was was still with me. So I I have um, I I have a mindset coach. I have lots and lots of different coaches, and, and people say, well, you know, why do I have coaches? You're a you're a coach. Why do you have a coach? And it's because you can always get better at the things in your life. So I'm I'm sat down with my mindset coach um, about a month ago now, and I said to him, I want to do something. Like that's just so dynamic and is just so big. Um, it's gonna completely transform me. And and he said, 75 hard. So I looked at it. So listened to the Andy Fresella podcast, and I just thought, I can't do that. So boom, limiting belief, telling myself a negative story. And I thought, well, break. for so the down. listeners, what is 75 hard? So 75 hard is a it's like a triathlon for the brain. And uh, what 75 hard is, so for 75 days, you have to do a number of things every single day. So the first thing is you've got to follow a strict diet. You can't drink alcohol. You've got to drink a gallon of water every day. You have to take progress photos. Uh, you have to read uh, at least 10 pages a day of something entrepreneurial or, or business development related. You know, that's quite easy. But the big, the other big challenge is you've got to do two 45 minute workout sessions every day and one of them has to be outdoors Wow! and if you fail and it's all tracked on an app and everything if you fail on one of the days you have to start at day one wow so it really it's all about discipline it's all about focus it's all about mental toughness and it's all about instilling in you a set of habits that get so dialed in so deep over that 75 day process that um, they they become traits and habits, which will continue and will serve you for, for the rest of your life. So my biggest fear going into this was the alcohol piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually been one of the easiest things. Uh, I don't know whether it's because I'm killing myself twice a day working out. And I you know I don't want to Go through that pain and, and 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 then give it all back um but i, I just drink a zero percent beer on a weekend the rest of the time i'm just drinking water um the, the hardest bit i i would say it's the second workout in the day because yeah. where i live there's a gym within 400 miles for sorry 400 yards of my house so i get up i drink some water i read then i'm in the gym every day nice and easy i have a personal trainer and then it's that second workout so i either go cycling Yep. Um, or I I go rook walking. So What's, oh I, with a
1: rucksack on your back, yeah.
0: Um yeah, which I, I was doing last week and started giving me, you know, really bad back problems. Uh bearing yeah. in mind, you know, I'm not a young man anymore. So I've bought uh i bought a rook vest and it's amazing. Um so it's uh, it goes up to 25 kilos, um, which is about 60 pounds. This is a so weighted in, vest. Yeah, so it's like a military vest. Yeah. And inside of it, there are 60 pocket weights, which are like little bags of heavy stuff. And so I've started off at 30 pounds. So what I'll do, so what I do is my, my wife dropped me off at my, so I have an office um, about five miles away from my house. I don't work from home. Uh, I like to have that separation. Not, normally, I, most of the time I work in the US where my private equity firm is based and my training company is based. But um, when, when I'm in the UK, i like to have a, a little office away. So I'm in this little, little office and uh, m- what my wife does is she drops me off here at lunchtime and then I will walk home the four miles with a £30 vest on and that is brutal. Because yeah. it's really hilly where I live. You you know where yeah. I live being yeah, a yeah. fellow Lancastrian. It's really hilly. Yeah. So um, at about five o'clock, when I'm done with conference calls, I I do all my conference calls here because the internet is like really good. Where yeah. I live in the absolute middle of nowhere. Um. So like, there's no houses around me, just loads of woods. So the internet's pretty pretty rough. So I do all my calls here. Then I'll walk home, uh, or I'll cycle. So um. So. The, the, the key is in the, key's in the planning, and, and this is like doing deals. In fact, I think anybody that wants to learn how to buy a business, um, the, the, the learning is the easiest part. The execution, doing the work that you need to do, um, is, is what some people struggle with. And, and honestly, going through this process, even after 17 days, um, I've just got so much tougher and so much more focused and so much more resilient in, in literally anything that well, that I can I'm,
1: see in your face. since the last picture I saw from the, one of your last emails. That well, the last email of yours that I read was the one you announcing that you're going to do 75 hard. And as soon as I saw you on Zoom, it was like, "Whoa, you look great!" And that's yeah, just 17 days
0: in. Yeah, so I've I've dropped 10 pounds in overall weight, but I've put on at least five pounds of muscle mass because I'm doing a lot of weightlifting in the morning, especially on my legs and on yeah. my shoulders and back. So I've probably lost 17. Fifteen to seventeen pounds of actual fat, um, which is that my my body fat's gone from seventeen point two down to fifteen percent, just in a couple of weeks. So, what about injury then? When
1: you hit when you hit so hard, and like you said, you're not you know to use a phrase that my mother would use. I'm not twenty one anymore, Gavin. um, When you when you suddenly go from a moderate level of exercise to 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 two forty five minutes workout, is that seven days a week?
0: Seven days a week, no rest days. So
1: do you, have you had any injuries, have you, or?
0: Um, no, I'm actually carrying an injury, believe it or not. Uh, I, I tore, um, I, I tore the, uh, the cartilage in my right knee um, about three weeks before lockdown. And I went and had a scan and my, my consultant said, yeah, we need to go in keyhole surgery, tidy it all up. And then um, my, my date was booked for the op and then we went into lockdown, so it got canceled. And um, I'm still waiting for a, a, a date to have it done. So I'm kind of carrying that injury a little bit. Uh, but again, it's just all part of the mindset. It's all part that. of the mindset. And, and the books that they have you read, uh, you can read whatever you want. You can't read a novel. You mm-hmm. can't read on Kindle. It's got to be a physical book. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm reading books around like, polar explorers and people that have gone through the SAS and have done like real hardcore, crazy performance stuff. And I'm reading that stuff, and and I'm thinking, well, if, if I can't walk up a hill with a thirty pound ruck with with a broken knee, then you know, look at what these guys had to do. So it's all it's all powering me. Uh, it's all powering me through. But so far, so good. Um, so far, so good. I'm managing my body really well. I'm sleeping really well. I'm eating really well. Um, How's it affecting I mean, your
1: work? You, you talked about focus a few minutes ago and about planning. How's it affecting you, your business?
0: It's um, I, I I would say I would say there's definitely been some improvements because obviously I I own multiple businesses, but I I'm not active really day to day in in any of them. So I'm more of an owner investor. Um, I have management teams and people that physically run my businesses. You know they're in Australia, UK. They're in the US. Um, so it's, it's given me a lot more thinking time, which is good. Um, you know, something I've always done in my, in my career is I've scheduled thinking time. I have 30 minutes every day where I just sit down and I think, um, I think about my business. So I'm, I'm working on my businesses, Gavin, not in my businesses. Um, so it's definitely, it's made me a lot more productive because I, I do have less time now in the day to actually work, so I, I've got to really focus hard on what do I want to do uh, in the time that I actually have, but, uh, but no, it's, uh, it's really good so far, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and I'm making myself like super, super accountable, you know, I'm posting on Facebook every day, um, you know, I'm filling all these apps and tracking things, my mindset coach, I have to message him every night when, when I've completed the day and I get the, the, the download pass from, from uh, 75 Hard, so I'm super super accountable. My my friends on Facebook, I think they're sick of me. Um <laughs> but uh, my son comes with me a lot. So I, I have a 12-year-old son who's an academy uh soccer player, football player. And um he's been training with me a lot. He he went seven days straight uh with me and then kind of burnt himself out a little bit. Um so I kind of gave him the weekend off. Uh and then he had a big football game yesterday. So tomorrow morning his upper body, he'll come, uh, he'll come and join me for that. Uh, Fantastic. And, it, and it's good. there's been ripple effects, Gavin, in my businesses, ripple effects in my family. You know, my son's decided to get fitter and healthier. My wife, since I started doing this, she's now going to the gym three days a week to do classes. And she's really supporting me massively. She stopped drinking as well. Um, you know, and she's cooking like delicious, organic, healthy food. Um, which is uh, which is awesome. So uh, got to keep going, though.
1: You will, I'm sure. Let's talk about deals. Okay. So, um, do you want to do just a little bit of background about you? You mentioned Wall Street background. You've had a corporate background in terms of your day job. You used to be for HP, Hewlett Packard, buying businesses. I understand.
0: Yeah. So I I started this uh, this world in July of 1992. So I'm 28 years and a month. Really, kind of into this. I started on. Uh, I started with the investment bank, Bank of America. Um, so I, I worked in New York and in London. So investment banks, as you know, they they buy and sell businesses on behalf of um, of their corporate clients. So I did deals for the likes of Boeing and IBM and GE and Lockheed Martin, and, and later in that process, you know, Microsoft. So um, got very, very good at deal making. Got very, very good at the mechanics of actually doing deals and then uh, I left I went to business school in the US in Chicago uh, I did part of it in Manchester and then part of it at the uh, University of Chicago and then I had a brief stint in private equity so we invested in, in a software company which we sold to Hewlett Packard I went with the deal and then became one of HP's m and directors so wow. flying all over the world you know, doing billion-dollar deals, it, it, it was awesome. Uh, I had an amazing job. I loved it. Um, but I, I quit in a heartbeat on the 1st of Feb 2008. I, I was in a boardroom in Moscow, uh, and my wife went into labor four weeks early with our son Josh. So I had to haul myself back to Manchester, uh, police escort from the airport, got to the hospital just in time. And when wow. my son came out, I was holding him in my arms, and I just thought, Wow, that was close. I'm I'm done, I I can't do this anymore. Um, You know, my focus was my career, it wasn't my family. Uh, And I went through a a terrible guilty moment. So I called my boss and I quit. I walked away from a million dollars of stock options and bonuses, but I didn't care. Um, I'd made some good money, I'd saved well. So I crazily decided to retire and I was 37. And it was a terrible decision because after about three weeks, uh I was actually mentally ill uh I'd gone really? from hard charging globe trotting deal making to pushing prams and changing nappies which was lovely don't get me wrong it was amazing to spend that time with with my son and my wife but um I needed to do something and, and my wife said to me well your your biggest weakness is your biggest opportunity she said you only have one skill set my wife was an accountant she said you're one of the best in the world at buying companies and selling companies, but what else do you know? So I decided to become a business broker. Okay. So I set myself up, 2008, as, as, a, as a one-man business broker. Um, I, I got a really good transport company to sell. Uh, it was doing about three million pounds, very profitable. Uh, found them a big trade buyer that was gonna come and acquire it. As you know, big businesses grow by acquiring other businesses. And um, it was the day before the closing. I was in my home office going through all the, all the legal docs, making sure we were set for the closing tomorrow. Brokers, as you know, make most of their money when deals close, so I had a couple of hundred grand kind of resting on this transaction. And the owner Colin, called me the night before, six o'clock and said, we're pulling the deal. Um, I said, why? He said, well, come down and I'll tell you. So I drove all the way down to Liverpool, uh, which is where the business was based. And I walked into the warehouse, big transport company, big warehouse, and he called an all-hands meeting, and he said that the buyer was going to basically rip the business apart. They'd gone in the day before, gave them a list of all the people they were going to fire. They basically wanted the trucks and the customers and the warehouse. They didn't want the brand. They didn't want the goodwill. They didn't want anything. And these two brothers thought, well, I don't want to – we don't want to retire and take all this money – knowing that the people that had helped us build this business were going to be put in harm's way. So they looked at me and said, you got to find somebody that will buy this business and and really honour it and protect it and look after everybody. Um, And and I said, well, that's probably going to have to be an individual. And I kind of, the gears were spinning in my mind. And they said, well, go find somebody. We're not bothered about how much money you get. Just sell the business to somebody we can trust. And I said to them, you know, do you trust me? And they said of course we we trust you we like you i said well i'll buy the business then <laughs> They said well and they started laughing they said you don't know anything about the transport industry i said i know i don't know anything about the transport industry but i've been working with you for three to four months i know how your business works how it makes money i know how it needs to grow um so i'll buy the business um and i pointed at the sales head of sales the head of ops and the financial controller I said, I'm going to give those three leaders 10% of the company. I'll take 70%, give them their equity for free. Um, I, can, I can go and raise capital um, against the uh, assets of the company. The business is very profitable. It's got great cash flow. So I will basically pay you over the next three years as well, which is called seller financing. So they looked at me and said, well, if you can pull that off in 30 days, you've got, you've got a deal. And everybody's cheering, and there was this huge, this huge guy it was called Glynn, big, uh, big Welsh guy, and he ran over to me. This guy's like six foot five, like 30 stone. Picks me up, and he's lifting me up <laughs> in the air. It's like the scene from Top Gun when they get out of the planes. Oh, brilliant. So, so I'm driving home, and I just thought to myself, you know, what have you done? <laughs> what do I tell what my wife? <laughs> what have you done? So I, I get home, and I sit down with my wife, and she says, what on earth have you done? Uh, She said, that's never going to work. I said, of course it is. So what's the difference between a leverage buyout on Wall Street and a leverage buyout on Main Street? There's no difference. It's about assets. It's about cash flows. It's about relationships. And it's about financing. So the following day, I started calling all the banks. Um, None of the banks wanted to uh, to know. Um, So I started calling all the alternative uh, asset financiers like the guys that do uh, trade debtors and factoring, sure. the guys that will do sale and lease back, like Bibby, on the yeah. um, on, on the trucks. Uh, the warehouse was owned free and clear, so I was able to get a mortgage on that. So I put together a, a financing package, um, and within a week, we'd signed heads of terms or letter of intent with the with the owners – and uh, yeah, we closed the deal about three weeks later. So that was my first ever deal, my first ever leverage buyout. And I owned that business for about three years uh, till about 2011. And then the three people that um, had the 30%, they, they bought me out. So they did a management buyout. They bought my 70%. Um, I diluted a little bit down because a, a marketing person had come in and we'd, we'd given her 5%. So I sold my 65%. Uh, and cashed out, and that was my first. Um, that was my first deal, and, and what that taught me was that um, on Wall Street, when you're doing deals, when you're doing like billion dollar deals, it's really all about the numbers. It's all about financial engineering. When when you're when you're on Main Street, when you're buying a one to five million pound company in terms of turnover, it's more about the psychology. It's more about What does the seller actually want? What's driving them? What's motivating them to want to get out of this business? And some sellers, Gavin, all they want is the money. And they want as much money as they can physically get at closing. So great. They go sell to trade buyers. Um, A large percentage of the rest, so 80% of sellers, small business owners, they want what I call a safe, trusted pair of hands. So they want Mm -hmm. somebody that will keep the name of the business, keep the brand, keep the employees, treat the customers in the same way, and really kind of honor the legacy that you know the sellers built. Um, so that became my focus, is how do we find those people? Um, and how do we buy their businesses? And in, in some cases, you can do those deals, like my transport deal, where well, I didn't put a single penny of my own money into that business. Um, and in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, you can still do deals where you don't have to invest pretty much any of your own money. Sometimes you might need five or 10%. And if you don't have that money, you can partner with, with an angel investor, or you can maybe do a little bit of crowdfunding um, and, and pay the seller you know, after three months, something like that. There's lots of ways to get creative when it comes to, you know, to doing deals. It's, it's all about finding the right type of seller, you know, building a really strong relationship with them and really convincing them that, that you're a trusted, safe, really credible pair of hands that really cares about the business and, and can can take it to a different level that the seller, for whatever reason, you know, doesn't want to. They might be sick, burnt out. They might want to retire. Um, you know, there are lots of different reasons why. People will sell a, a, a good business. And, and I, I don't buy really bad businesses. I, you know, I'm not one of these people that will find a business for a pound um, and then have to go in and, and suffer the brain damage of, of having to turn it around. I'd rather buy a good business that's profitable and has got you know, people inside of it that really know what they're doing. On the other side of the spectrum, um, I won't go and buy phenomenal businesses because there's only about one in 11 businesses actually sell that try. And it's that one in 11 that, you know, they're just the best in class. They've got the best margins, the best products. They're killing it. They're doing everything right. Um, Those really hard to buy those businesses without using your own money. If you're a trade buyer, you can buy a business like that. If you've got deep pockets. But for me, it's that kind of middle ground. They're not, does that, you know, they're not broken businesses. They're not the best businesses in the world. They're just good, stable, solid businesses that can just do a lot better than what they're doing.
1: Hi, Gavin here. I wanted to say a huge thank you. Thank you to all of you who have bought a copy of my book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. The feedback's been excellent. Copies have gone to all four corners of the planet. I'm so grateful and humbled. I also wanted to let you know that now the audio book version is out. The audio format can be got from audible.co.uk or audible.com or from my website, surviveandthrive.cc. It was a lot of fun recording the audiobook and hopefully you'll pick up my passion as i take you through all the insights, strategies and case studies to help you not only survive but thrive through uncertain times so go to audible.com or audible.co.uk to check out survive and thrive by gavin preston or grab it from my website surviveandthrive.cc and how do you um address that tension between the buyer wanting to take money off the table when the deal's done and you wanting to defer some consideration with seller finance. Yeah. So do you will want to obviously defer as much of the, uh, the consideration through over the, over two, three years, maybe more. Yeah. The owner may want to get as much of the money out up front to reduce their risk. And um, so how do you address that sort of, because that tension must be there in virtually every deal.
0: Yeah, it is, and a lot of it comes down to really what what's the seller's motivation. Um, mm. You know, if if they don't want to sell, really, and you know they're happy to sell for an inflated price, then it, it can become very very difficult. Um, to, you know, to get any seller financing or any deferred consideration into that deal. But if you find a seller that's really kind of highly motivated, um, so one of the first deals that I did after the transport deal is I started doing uh, deal origination. So uh, I I fancied at the time buying an engineering company. Uh, I was into my sports cars at the time. So I thought I want to buy an engineering company that that does something linked to um, the automotive industry. So I started my my outreach. I have a very psychological way that I write to people. And um, I got a phone call the next day from this guy in Derby called Jeff. And he said, I've just got your letter. Um, he said, I'd be very interested in having a conversation with you. I'm like, great. Let me check my schedule for next week. He's like, no, I want to come down now. If we're doing it, we're doing it today. And I, well, okay. Um, he said, look, I'll tell you, my wife has just been diagnosed two days ago with stage four cancer, and she's Mm. not going to be here for much time. And what I don't want to do, He's to be stuck in this, and he called it his darn business. I don't want to be stuck in his darn business every day um, for the next three to four months. And there's nobody inside of it that I trust, you know, to run it. So you got to come down now. So I went down, and um, we agreed a deal where there was um, there was about three hundred grand of uh, surplus cash in the business, so cash over and above what the business would need to comfortably operate daily. Sure. So we did a deal where, but he basically took that money out. Mm -hmm. and then we agreed a five-year note where I was going to be paying him about a quarter of a million pounds a year, and the business was doing just over 400 grand of profit. So so that was the deal. Um, Deal was done in a day. Um, He then left. Um, He then sadly lost his wife, and then he called me up about six months later. I'd put a GM into that business who was making a real mess of it, um, and he called me up. And he said, look, you know, I've heard the new GM's not really doing well. Um, I've nothing to do. Can I come back and run the business for you? And I said, yeah, of course you can. <clears throat> I said, but I want to give you 50% of it. He said, why? I said, because, you know, I, I we did this deal. Uh, you probably wouldn't have sold me the business otherwise. So come back and let's be partners. Let's be 50-50 partners. So we did that deal. Um, and then we owned that business for about four more years, and then he was then ready to retire, and we sold it. Um, wow. We sold it to um, a really really big um, engineering company who basically wanted to and, and turned our little business into their R&D facility. So did all of their R&D in that workshop. And then did all the mass production, you know, sure. in their own facility. The so mass- that sort of begs
1: the question, really. So you were you within a day owned a business that you you didn't have any experience in, no. and then so you went out to recruit to GM that obviously didn't pan out. So do you, is there a lesson learned that you were only invest in businesses where you know the sector, and you would recommend people to focus yep. on two or specialize in two or three sectors? Or?
0: Absolutely. That that's my biggest. Ever piece of advice for anybody that wants to get into this industry um you know i i made that mistake uh but i got lucky now i've you know i'm invested and partnered with tons and tons of different people so i'm i'm sector agnostic really these days uh but i'm i'm quite unique if you're um if you're getting into this uh as 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 a way of life then absolutely stay in your lane you know only buy businesses in areas that you understand you're passionate about and you can add massive value to um if you're really passionate about a particular industry uh but you don't have any experience in it like i was really passionate about um the engineering of cars you know i had a a 911 at the time and used to race it um so i was really into my cars but i knew nothing about running that type of business like the supply chains that are involved all that different stuff so um you know, I partnered with, with somebody really as that GM, but you should do it beforehand. So if you're really interested in an industry, but you don't have the experience, just, just go partner with somebody. I have a mm. student at the moment who, uh, he's a sales guy for IBM, um, and he wants to buy a vineyard. I'm like, wow. why? Go, go buy an IT services company.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Like, you know, stay in your lane. It's like, no, I want to get out of the IT industry. I hate it. I've been in it too long. I, I, you know, I love my wine. I want to buy a vineyard. I said, yeah, but selling, selling IT systems is very different than making wine. Um, so I convinced him to go and partner with somebody in California that uh, really, really knows how to grow wine, how, how the entire business of a vineyard works. So they're doing it together, uh, and they'll own that business 50-50. Um, so really, to, to do a leverage buyout and, and to, to be putting some of the money into future payments you 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 have to know the space and you have to build the relationship with the seller otherwise are they going to trust you that you know what you're doing and they're actually going to get their money back and there's legal tools that you use as well Uh, we use things like clawbacks so if let's say i'm buying a business for two million pounds and i pay a million pounds up front because all of the financing i've raised and then i'm paying a million pounds over say four years. Um, there'll there'll be a clause in the legal agreement that, um, if, if I don't pay that money, the seller can have his shares back. So obviously it's a massive incentive for me to keep making those payments. Otherwise the seller can come in and just take, you know, take the business back. It's like having a mortgage on a house, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah, and that, that normally, uh, that normally does the trick because then those seller notes, um, you can um you, you, they can charge interest on them um in some cases they can sell them so they can sell them on at a discount and then the, the bearer of that note then gets the payments from you and the seller gets a, a, a more of a bigger lump sum so there's lots and lots of different ways that you can skin uh, you know skin that cat but um it's all down to seller motivation and building relationships those are the two massive skills that that you need to master to be really prolific in this world
1: so a lot of the focus and excitement or attention at the moment in this space is around doing the deal and you know growing your business through acquisition and particularly you know in the in the, in the economic climate we're going to be experienced over the coming months and years but that's only the start of the journey isn't it? you've got to make sure that business is profitable it grows it has its ability to meet its uh, seller finance uh, uh, obligations so the, the key message there is either you, know, you stay in your own lane, you know, some, you know the industry and you know what to do, you've got the contacts, you've got the experience, or you partner with somebody who
0: has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, that's my biggest piece of advice is just go with what you know. So if you're a, um, if you're a web designer working for somebody, go, you know, go buy a web design firm. Don't start one. Go buy one that someone's yeah. selling. You know, don't go and buy a petrol station or a dry cleaners um, yeah. or a pub what's the point go um you know go buy something that you know you know what's going on um, and then
1: you want assets within that business that you can raise asset finance off the back that you can leverage
0: yeah so what what you're looking for ideally is you, you're looking for a business that's got assets or cash flows or ideally both yeah um if if the business has got assets then like buildings accounts receivables or debtors stock fixed assets plant equipment then there are rats financiers that will lend against all those assets because then that's their security. Um, if they lend you some money to do the deal and it doesn't work out, they'll just go and take the assets and sell them. So that's easy. Um, the other, um, method of financing is cash flow lending. And that's got really interesting over the past few months. So, um, we've always had used to be called the small firm loan guarantee. Um, it's essentially bank money, that's government backed and government underwritten. So if, if Nat West or Barclays lends you a million pounds um, and the business doesn't work, they get the money from the government, who's insured. You know, basically all of that debt. Um, so it used to be called Small Firm Loans Guarantee. Then it became the Enterprise Finance Guarantee (EFG), yeah. and yeah. then yeah. now it's called CBILS, C I B I L S. The Coronavirus yeah. Business Interruption loan scheme which is insane it's an incredible humongous multi-billion pound pot of money that uh, and there's so many loopholes with it you can use it to buy businesses um it's amazing you can use it to buy businesses so um so that money um above a quarter of a million pounds you do need to sign personal guarantees which can put a lot of buyers off but we're very lucky in the uk Gavin. Um, We have an extremely mature personal guarantee insurance market. So you go to Perbeck or one of the billion other providers and you can just sign an insurance policy so that whilst you're personally signing a PG, if anything went wrong, you're protected. so um so yeah it's uh, it it's great
1: but unfortunately CIBIL's is not going to last forever is it September time it might be possible Yeah
0: probably probably and then what I think will happen is they'll it'll revert back to the old um EFG loan program yeah. uh, which is essentially if a business doesn't have any assets inside of it and it's just generating lots and lots of cash flow like like an IT business like a, like a SaaS company um or, or an online company as long as it's profitable and it's got consistent pattern of cash flow, then financiers will, you know, will look at that, and they'll they'll apply um, some multiples to that, and uh, you know they'll give you a a chunk of money um, to allow you to actually go and buy that business. So
1: people that maybe they're a business owner, they're staying in their own lane. They know that acquisition is a good way of growth right now. What are some of the pitfalls that you have seen many? New to the acquisition game, um, uh, fall into.
0: Yeah, so I think the first one is people just buy the wrong business. So there's there's really, and if you own a if you own a business, doesn't matter what sector you're in. There's there's only really three types of businesses that you should buy. The first one is you can go buy a competitor. So if you own um, if you own a big landscaping company, then you can go and buy another landscaping company that's competing with you so you're just doubling down on your market share so that's that's one type of acquisition another type of acquisition is you can buy it's called vertical integration so you can buy within your supply chain so let's say uh so when i owned my um my automotive engineering company um one of the one of the biggest parts of our overhead was the was was the steel that we were acquiring to turn into parts for Porsches and Ferraris so we could have gone out and bought that steel manufacturer um so then we're just massively increasing our margins because we now own that production facility plus all of the customers etc that it would have had before we bought it Um, and then the, the third acquisition which is really the best one to make is when you buy a business that's that's very synergistic and very complementary to what you already do. So let's, let's say you own a software company. So you've got all this software that you sell and you've got all of the customers that buy it. You can then go out and buy, for example, an IT services company that's got IT services and the customers that consume them. So then what you can do is you can sell all of the software that you still have. To your new IT services customers, you can sell all of your new IT services to all of your existing software customers. So you get all of that cross-selling and upselling. And at the same time, when you bring those two businesses together, there's lots of costs that you can take out of your combined PL. So it's like one plus one equals three on the on the turnover side, the revenue side, and it's like a one plus one equals five. On the profit and on on the cash flow side, um, and that's that's what the big guys do, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's buy, they they they'll buy to enter complementary markets where they don't have the time to build it themselves, and they don't have the skills to do it properly, you know. That that's that's why Amazon, you know, Amazon bought a robot company um, because it didn't have the time to design and develop robots to automate its warehouses. it went and acquired a company. You know, when I was at HP, um, my first day at HP, our CEO, Mark Erd, sat us down in a room and, and said, look, you know, we're primarily a hardware and printing company. And I want to become a software and IT services company that uses that footprint to pull in all of the hardware that we currently have. We want to be like IBM so he said look we've got 20 billion dollars let's go out and make that happen so we went out and we bought a company called mercury which was a software company um which would pull in all of the other stuff that we had we bought a big company called eds which was a a large um you know, that was a nearly 14 billion dollar deal that did it services um because we wanted to get into that space and we didn't have the skills to do that, or really the time to do it. If we had, so that that's why that's why a lot of businesses, you know, buy other businesses because it's it's a lot harder these days, isn't it, winning new business? You know, if you've got
1: mm, if you've sure. got
0: uh, if you own a business, and obviously your customers will repeat buy, they'll give you referrals, etc. But but it's a lot more expensive to do marketing. Um, so. Really, it's quicker, easier, and safer just to go and buy another company. And you can use that company's own resources to effectively acquire it and then combine it with what you've already got. And then there's lots of things that happen internally with sales and margin and cash flow um, that come as a direct result of that. The, there are three – so the, the three lessons, though, if you're going to do that, is n- number one, it's got to work for you strategically. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's got, to, it's got to be able to add synergy to what you're already doing. So, you know, if you're a software company, crazy example, don't go and buy a, a pizza restaurant. Go, go and buy something in that sector that's going to add value to the customers that you've already got. Yeah. The second thing, uh, that and this can trip you up, is uh, systems and processes. For sure. um, so I've seen a lot of deals fail crazy things for example you know one company used one accounting system the company it bought used another accounting system and they could never get the two things to work together so a lot of the synergies never really happened and then the third one is culture mm, big um, one. culture's huge you know mm. sometimes culture can be a killer especially with small businesses because it's all about people yeah,
1: yeah. and
0: you know you've got a business that Maybe let's say it's a manufacturing business. The the person's owned it for 30 years, stuck in his ways. That rubs off on all of the employees. So they're all used to doing things their way. A larger company buys them that's faster, nimble, got a lot more energy. And sometimes those people can be quite resistant Mm -hmm. um, to a lot of that change. So that kind of change management piece and and that cultural kind of embellishment that that could be quite uh, that can be quite tricky, but you can head all that off at the start when you're doing due diligence. Um, you know, if you think, well, the systems are never going to talk to each other, these, you know, the employees, it's going to be like the Hell's Angels working <laughs> with the Rotary club, uh, that's not going to work. <laughs> then you just move on and, and, and yeah. look at another deal. You know, yeah. it's a numbers game, Gavin. Yeah. It's a numbers game. It's foolish to think you can pick one random business. And get it all the way through to a completion. It it's a numbers game. You might have to look at 10, 20, even 50 deals sometimes, uh, to find the perfect business that's that ticks all the boxes and you get it all the way through to uh you know to a legal completion. Um it, it's um it's it's not for the faint hearted. Let me just say that. Take some take some nuts.
1: Uh, it does. And it also takes some education. So I, as much as I could talk to you all day, very respectful of your time. So how do people find out more about how um, a, you can train them and your team can train them? And secondly, I believe that you uh, offer partnering as well as an opportunity to help people. Yeah, get... we do.
0: Yeah, we, we, we do. So so my my world is essentially split into kind of two halves. So on, on, on the one half is I've got uh, a whole portfolio of different training coaching and mentoring services and um, that company is called dealmaker wealth society so that's based in the us but it's covering essentially uk us canada and australia uh, those are the big four countries that we target um, And and on the other side i have a private equity company um, where i don't just teach this stuff you know i kind of eat my own cooking uh, to quote uh, to quote the americans so I, i'm doing deals all the time and in a lot of cases we'll partner, so Prox Capital will partner with students inside of Dealmaker Well Society. If they find a deal that um, maybe it's maybe too complicated for that first transaction or it might need some equity investment to get the deal done, you know, we can get involved and, and, and co-own that with them. But I think I think as a starter, um, I've put together some free training, some free resources uh, for people just just to see whether this is something that um is 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 a world they want to enter no no point spending some money and learning how to do this if it's not the right thing for you so i i think you know first off if they go to this link it's trainwithcarl.com forward slash mastermind so if they go to that link trainwithcarl.com forward slash mastermind they can go through the free training and if that is something, if they think, you know what? Absolutely, I really see how this would benefit me, whether as a first-time business buyer or to do bolt-on acquisitions to an existing business. This is something that I'm really interested in. Then once they've gone through all of that free training, there'll be some options for them to uh, work with us or partner with us in, uh, in deals. So we, we, we cover 17 different industry sectors, uh, primarily in those four big countries. UK and US are by far the biggest, but we also do deals in Canada and Australia as well. Um, And I would recommend, that's the first port of call. We have tons and tons of training videos as well on our YouTube channel at Dealmaker Wealth Society. So uh, sometimes I just go out into my garden, get my easel and start talking about deals and case studies and how to structure stuff and all those different things. We, We call it Confessions in the Countryside. Uh, I'm, out in the, I'm out in the back garden surrounded by all the trees so um,
1: fantastic Carl thank you so much for your time today
0: my pleasure thanks for having me take care
1: you've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast be sure to subscribe rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms enjoy more success and create more impact